So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. And this, the 14th of August, it's the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley, and help me to present the podcast again today, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane, and welcome into the Come and See studio. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? We're good. Thanks a lot, Shane, for joining me. Mm-hmm. I know you join me, Shane, in, as usual, welcoming those list- of our listeners who, who are housebound, those who are lonely, and those who are struggling maybe to... To stay positive today, uh, there's an awful lot of our listeners we know who listen to our podcast on their own. Maybe don't touch base with too many people during the week. So we hope we would uh, we would provide some support in terms of prayer and maybe what we can share each week uh, in, in terms of faith topics and gospel reflections. Just a reminder again, our podcast can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com or on our blog, sacredspace102.blogspot.com, Spotify, iTunes, and of course Facebook, uh, on our Facebook page at Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us, please do, uh, if you wish, by texting us at 87 outside of Ireland, 00353-87-6088-667, or email comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. Now, Shane, your fans are waiting for you out there somewhere around the world, a lot of places around the world, for you to let us know who the Saints for the Week are this week. <laughs> uh, so, Saints for the Week this week, we'll have different ones. So, as John, I think John said at the start of the programme, I, I say this automatically, and did I never really remember whether he said it or not, which is at the top of the programme, did, did John say it or did he not say it? But basically, uh, today is, of course, the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Uh, so we're heading into the 20th week in ordinary time. So those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week four. So um, today would be the feast day of Maximilian Kolbe, um, the Polish martyr priest who died in Auschwitz. But uh, obviously because it's the Sunday, Sunday takes precedence. Tomorrow, <coughs> excuse me, tomorrow is the Solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, given that we did a whole program on that last week, I'm not going to dwell too much on that one again today. John, if that's all right with you? Makes sense to me. Yeah. So then Tuesday, the 16th, is the feast day of St. Stephen of Hungary. Now, this is an interesting one. There's a couple of things about Stephen. First of all, um, he's he's described as the first king of Hungary and its patron saint and worked for the conversion of his people to Christianity. And he died in 1038. Now, the interesting thing about it is uh, the kingdom of Hungary is uh, represented even to the present day by the crown of St. Stephen, uh, which is an interesting one given the current political um, climate in Hungary. But Stephen um, was basically, uh, he was his father married a sister of the Holy Roman Emperor Henry II. Now, we mentioned Henry II a couple of weeks ago because he's one of those royal saints that we were talking about as well. Um, sorry, no, I beg your pardon. Stephen was married to Henry II's daughter. I beg your pardon. And he basically, he united the people in what are is now Hungary into a single nation a single nation he was crowned king on Christmas Day in 1001 by the authority of the Pope Sylvester II and he uh, he's, he died in 1038 on the 15th of August so uh, hence why we have his feast day uh, this week now on the 17th of um, August on the Irish calendar, we have the Feast of Our Lady of Knock. Now, basically, the reason the feast stays on the 17th of August is it's the 
day closest day that was actually available when they were rejigging the um, the national calendar a couple of years ago. But of course, the date of the apparition is actually the twenty second of Noc, twenty second. Sorry, the twenty second of August. I beg your pardon, but the twenty second of August is the Queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we can't really kick that one off the calendar. So the fe- the dedication, the feast day of Our Lady of Noc is the seventeenth of August, which of course falls generally right in the middle of the national novena. Then on the 18th of August, we have the feast day of St. Helena of Constantinople. Now, the interesting thing about this woman, she is the mother of Constantine the Great, the first Christian, well, not the first, yes, the first Christian emperor of the Holy Roman, of the, of the Roman Empire, Empire even, who issued the Edict of Milan granting religious tolerance in the Roman Empire. Uh, now, she had a tough, she was married to uh, Constantius Chlorus, co-regent of the Western Roman Empire. He was Constantine's father. Uh, he's, he put Helena aside and took a second wife for political reasons. Then when he died, Constantine took the throne and brought his mother back and gave her the title and the dignity that she was entitled to as Augusta, or the queen, as the empress. But anyway, she basically... Why Helena is up there as a kind of a saint is that even though she was in her late 70s, she led a group to the Holy Land in search of the true cross. And tradition has it that they unearthed it in 326 AD. And um, basically to identify the three pieces that will to identify the true cross of all of the crosses that they found because Golgotha was a place of execution she had a woman who was afflicted with incurable disease and had her touch the crosses until she was cured um Helena though was a woman that kind of went on a building spree um pretty much anything that had connections to Jesus she put a church on top of it <laughs> <laughs> pretty much um, you know it was it was it was an interesting one so a lot of the if you go to the holy land um not that necessarily that the buildings that are standing at the present day but the or the 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 or the the predecessors to them were probably ones that helena probably kicked off the ground and got things started um so it's, she's 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 up there she's also associated with um the church of uh, the holy cross in jerusalem which is, is in rome and where she gathered a lot of relics from the holy land uh, as well so that's also associated with her um she's usually depicted holding the cross because the feast of the holy cross on the 14th of september uh, which was the date that the church, the the church, the cross was found in Jerusalem? Uh, obviously, she's very much associated with that. So uh, then, the nineteenth, we have the feast day of Saint John Eudes, who died in sixteen eighty. He's a Norm- saint from Normandy in France. Uh, was originally with the French Oratory and then left to found a, con- a congregation to improve the standards of the clergy through the seminaries. He also founded the Sisters of Our Lady of Charity and Refuge, and. One of the reasons why we mention John Oudes is because he was one of the first to promote devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So that's uh, so he died in 1680. Then we have a heavy hitter one. On the 20th of August is the feast day of St. Bernard, abbot and doctor of the church. Uh, died in 1153. A Cistercian monk at Sitio in 1113 and was chosen abbot of Clairvaux in 1115. Um, this guy is a serious, heavy, has a serious heavy hitter in terms of the medieval church. He preached the crusade uh, that led for Urban II to declare the first crusade. Uh, he led to the foundation and formation. This is a huge saint within the Cistercian uh, community. Um, the, 
the the the, the Benedictines also kind of take a swipe a claim of him as well. So he's a big he's a big he's a big medieval saint. His writings come down have come down to us to the present age, particularly his writings on the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, so we celebrate his feast day on the twentieth of August. So John, that's what we have in terms of liturgical odds and ends this week. Shane, thank you very much indeed for sharing that with us. So in terms of uh, in terms of notices, Shane, just one to uh, mention, it's a repeat again, uh, the Noc- Novena, the National Novena, uh, the nine-day National Novena to Our Lady of Noc starts today, of course, the 14th, continues on till the 22nd of August. The theme is A Journey in Hope, and really they're looking forward to the Synod and the reflection and reflect on the transformative power of hope and resilience in times of, of adversity. The theme of hope leads to towards thinking and reflecting more deeply on the Synod and the fundamental questions that remain at the heart of our continual discourse. We look to the future with a hope of renewal for God's guidance and pray that this novena will offer you and our pilgrims, our pilgrims and friends the chance of thought-provoking reflection and discussion. A unique feature of this year's novena will be the Synod Tent where members of the public will be invited to learn more about the Synod and what it means for all of us. It will also provide an opportunity for us to listen to what you think the Knox, uh, think Knox Ryan has to offer you and the Church in Ireland at this critical juncture in our history. The daily sessions will take place during the Synod um, at 3pm and 8pm. And of course, that Synod tent, uh, this, the daily uh, sessions will take place at 12 noon. So that's, uh, that's the novena to a lady of Nark, starting today, continuing on to the 22nd. And details, of course, uh, as Shane mentioned uh, last week, are available at knockshrine.ie. So now we'll go for our prayer space today. And the, piece, the, the, prayer space that I've cho- uh, the, the, the prayer that I've chosen this morning is one entitled The Beauty of Nature. Oh God, we thank you for this earth, our home for the wide sky and the blessed sun, for the salt sea and the running water, for the everlasting hills and the never-resting winds, for trees and the common grass underfoot. We thank you for our senses, by which we hear the songs of the birds and see the splendour of the summer fields and the taste of autumn fruits and rejoice in the feel of the snow and smell the breath of the spring. Grant us a heart wide open to all this beauty and save our souls from being so blind that we pass by and that we pass unseen when even the common thorn bush is aflame with your glory. O God, our Creator, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Nice little prayer there to, entitled The Beauty of Nature. So now we go for our first bit of music this morning. Uh, again, it's uh, one taken, a nice bit of instrumental music from Melinda Dimitriscu entitled The Annunciation. So join us again in part two, where we're going to repeat uh, an interview, a recording that we made back actually 10 years ago uh, next week, the 26th of August uh, 2012, when our good friend uh, Michael Keaton, John Shane, and myself to have a reflection on A Lady of Knock. So join us then.
And welcome back. My name is John Keeley. As advised at, uh, at the introduction, uh, we said we'd take a little time uh, today just to revisit, I know we've done it a few times in the programme, but just revi- revisit um, Knock and a Lady of Knock and the apparition there. And as I said, uh, the novena to a Lady of Knock was on the, in more recent days. Um, it's finished on the 22nd. Um, 5,000 people each session, about 90,000 people attended the novena, uh, a wonderful occasion for people to express their faith. But I thought it might be a good opportunity now for Michael maybe to join us this morning and just refresh our memories on actually when it, when the operation occurred and what happened. So, Michael, you might just give us a brief one, please. Yeah. I suppose, John, just to start with, I always feel that we need to kind of get a picture of what Ireland was like in 1879. Just after the famine, yeah? Yeah, it was just the aftermath of the famine. It was unbelievable poverty. Mm. Landlordism was the big thing, you know. Yeah. Evictions were widespread, you know, and of course, we also in history books, we read about us, the hell of the Connacht, you know, that's mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. we didn't believe. And in the middle of all that poverty, there was one very devout and saintly parish priest, Archdeacon Kavanagh. Yeah. He was in Westport during the famine, and he saw the famine at his very worst. You know, they said he often knighted 40 people before his breakfast in the morning. So he was moved to Knock. Wow. And he was so concerned for all the people that died needlessly, you know, because of disease and famine, that he decided he'd celebrate 100 consecutive masses for the holy souls in Purgatory, because he saw people dying around him left, right, and centre. And... He concluded the 100 consecutive Masses on the 21st of August, 1879, the day of the apparition. And we'll see later, there is a connection, like, you know, between the Masses and the apparition itself. So later that evening, the apparition occurred in the gable wall of the church at Knock. And it happened at about 7.30 in the evening and in pouring rain. So... Well, if we look at the weather, nothing has changed since 1879. Oh, no, it's still no, raining. No. You know, the month of August you would expect to be fine, but it was still right. raining in 1879. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's nothing new happening in August. Um, so, there were 15 witnesses in total, aged from, you know, John Corey, who was five, up to Bridget Trench, who was 74. So, there was 15 official witnesses to the apparition. And what they described is what we, the vision we see in Knock today on the Gable Wall in Knock. And, you know, the centre of that apparition... Believe it or not, is the Lamb of God in the altar. You know, we think of it as a marrying apparition, you know, a lot. Oh, yes. And Our Lady did appear there, of mm. course, and we mm. give her two honour. But the actual, the Lamb is in the centre. Our Lady, St. John, and St. Joseph, as we look at the apparition, are to the left of it. Mm. And Our Lady's hands, oh, sorry, Our Lady's eyes were raised to heaven as if she was praying or interceding for us. Okay. And she was turned slightly towards the Lamb on the altar. And the other thing, of course, about the Lamb of the Altar, there was angels circling the altar the whole time, mm-hmm. you know, while the apparition occurred. Now, St. Joseph, he was bowed as if in prayer. His hands were joined in prayer, and he was bowed slightly towards Our Lady, giving reverence to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. St. John had the book of the Gospels in one hand, and he had the other hand raised as if preaching, you know, as if he was on yes, the altar yes. preaching. So, the, the whole vision that, that was described is what we have in the book of Revelation because Our Lady was also dressed as a bride. Okay. And in the book of Revelation, 
we have this lovely quotation, blessed is anyone who is invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. <laughs> and I know a lot of Catholics shy away a bit from the book of the Revelation or Apocalypse. We find it very, very heavy going, you know. Yeah. And I suppose this is what those souls that were relieved from purgatory saw, the beatific vision they saw, you know, they saw the Lamb. Because every time you look at the book of Revelation, John always calls him the Lamb. He never mentions the word Jesus. He, you know, he calls it, I think it's 28 times in 22 chapters. Mm. Jesus is called the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. And um, that was the Lamb that appeared on the altar. And of course, it's definitely connected to the 100 Masses, you know, because when we go to Mass, who is on the altar? The Lamb of God, isn't it? You know, that's on the altar, the sacrificial Lamb. And I suppose Knock is unique because it's the only place in the world that the Lamb of God ever appeared. You know, we have a lot of marine apparitions all over the world, but you won't find the Lamb of God anywhere in the world. So Knock is truly unique in that regard. Now, 10 days after the apparition, the first miracle was reported. Delia Gordon, she was miraculously cured from a severe ear problem. And that started absolute mayhem and knock. Mm, naturally. You know, by February 1880, six months after the apparition, there was big holes appearing in the gable wall because everybody was taking a bit of plaster from the wall. Mm. They were sending it to their relatives in England, in America, all over the place, and there was cures being reported everywhere. Mm. You know, I'm sure if you were in the museum, you'd see some of the old pictures there with all the crutches thrown against the wall, people walking away perfect, they're leaving the crutches in knock, you know. And a lot of them put that down to the rubbing the plaster to their ailment, you know. So they started yes. taking yeah. bits of plaster. Chunks of it, yeah. <laughs> Chunks of plaster. Um, the first commission, believe it or not, was set up six weeks after the apparition. Dr. John McHale, Ashbridge Pachum, he didn't delay. No. Oh. How long do we wait for, for a commission to be set up in Medjugorje and all these places and in yes, Fatima? Yeah, 31 years at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. But he set it up six weeks afterwards. And the one thing that helped him was that Archdeacon Kavanagh recorded everything. Every reported cure, he recorded it. That man was truly inspired to Archdeacon yes. Kavanagh. So it made the, commission, the job of the commission very easy because everything had been recorded from day one. There was no third party tales, mm. you know what I mean, anything like that. So that commission found that the testimony of the witnesses was on the whole trustworthy and satisfactory. Now, there was a second commission in 1936. Mary Bodden was on her deathbed and she confirmed everything again. She said, no, I'm going before my God. She knew she was going before God. Mm. She confirmed everything. And that was the early story of Knock. Mm. Gradually Knock built over the years, of course, until we came to the 60s and we got this great man, one senior, James Horden. Yes. Because he really made Knock an international pilgrimage site, yes. you know. This man was inspired. He's known as the builder of Knock, you know. He built the basilica, he built the airport against all the odds, you know. This man, he developed the grounds of what they are today. I suppose the most, even the most beautiful place I'll visit now, the grounds are it's so beautiful. beautiful. The, the mm. lawns and the flowers and everything like that. And miracles happen at Knock all the time. We don't always hear about them, but there are still miracles happening at Knock. And... You know, I suppose one of the most famous ones in recent years was Marion Carroll in 1989. Mm -hmm. She was in advanced stages of MS and she was completely cured. Her doctor said there was no explanation, no drugs could have done what happened. Mm -hmm. And she's going around the country now giving talks and healing sessions. And she's a handmaid at Knock, I think, once a month. Uh, she, she, anyone can meet her there, you know, she's mm -hmm. there the whole time. Yeah. Beautiful. Michael, there's a few things just going through my mind um, these days. Um, the lamb... When people speak about, you know, the um, knock, the, as you rightly said, the lamb isn't put to the forefront. Why do you think that is? Why do you think 
Well, I suppose we have great devotion to our lady in this country, you know, and we're really taking up that our lady visitors, you know, we're very proud of that. And of course, our lady is interceding for us there, like, you know, I'm not trying to take away from our lady mm. one bit, you know, mm. because our lady of Knock has worked wonders for people and they have got, you know, all the requests to our lady of Knock as well. Mm. But I think at Knock, we've been drawing particularly to the mass, you know, the lamb on the altar there. And that, that victorious cross at the back, you know, that bare cross, Jesus is not on the cross. You know, he's a sacrificial lamb on the altar. Maybe Shane might like to say something on that for you, Shane. Yeah, it's an unusual aspect, I suppose, of the apparition. As, um, of course, the other side of the other unusual side of the apparition, of course, is it was speechless. Mm-hmm. There was no message uh, associated with the apparition. But, of course, it's an interesting one, I suppose, in terms of a cultural context as well at the time, and kind of renewing and of the ongoing Irish devotion to the Eucharist, which had come down to the penal times, and, you know, and that ongoing focus that was there, which we saw right up to the present day with the Eucharistic Congress we held, held, held here in Dublin in June. Mm. You know, so I suppose it's, it's an important apparition from that perspective um, in terms of, again, you know, it's, it, if, if, if we're to be paying particular attention to what the message of, of Knock is, considering there is no verbal message, it's Mary once again in her role pointing to the altar, pointing to her son. Because I suppose that's something we have to be very careful with in an Irish context. We have a great devotion to Mary as mother. And the problem with that, of course, is that sometimes it borderline crosses over to where it shouldn't go. Mm. You know, we kind of, kind, of, kind of sometimes almost forget her son. And it's something that we, we as, a, as a community need to be very careful of. It's something that often our, our separated brethren in the Protestant churches would say to us, and even our brethren in the Orthodox churches would point out and say that sometimes there's an excessive uh, Marian devotion in the Catholic tradition. But, you know, getting back to, getting back to, to Knock, you know, again, it's always a reminder. It points, she points back to her son. Uh, the lamb, the lamb, and as John called it, or as, as Michael said, you know, the glorious cross, the empty cross. Of course, it's also interesting in terms of the two uh, saints that appeared with Mary. I always find it interesting. It's John the Evangelist, and it's her husband, Joseph. Because I don't think we hear too often about Joseph appearing anywhere to anybody else. Mm. Uh, in fact, no, I, I always stand open to correction on these things, but I'm not aware of any other apparition with Joseph. Yeah, I think um, I've never heard of it either. Yeah, no. I've, I've never heard of any other apparition where Joseph <laughs> appears. And, you know, it's, it's <clears throat> kind of almost, and, and then, of course, it's John, John the Evangelist, a very young, mind you, looking John, uh, considering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, but, uh, of course, and the important thing, of course, about John is the fact that, you know, from the cross, Jesus said to John, you know, son, here is your mother, mother, here is your son. You know, so, and of course, John, you know, tradition is it that John is the beloved disciple. And of course, again, you know, and we'll touch on it slightly in the gospel reflection, you know, John's gospel is a very Eucharistic-centered gospel, despite the fact it is the only gospel that doesn't have the words of institution of the Eucharist, which we use at Mass. But it's a very Eucharistic-centered gospel. And of course, you know, going back, I suppose, to the devotion to Knock, of course, we had the visit of John Paul in 79, and he presented the Golden Rose to the Basilica, or he presented the Golden Rose to the Shrine, and also raised the, the, the Church to the status of the Basilica. But I suppose the other thing, I suppose, just, I, what I found interesting about the Novena this year is uh, there's a slight anomaly, actually, in the liturgical calendar, because the apparition was the 22nd of August, but in the new calendar, the feast day of Our Lady of Knock is the 17th. But the talks this year, because they were they were made, they are made available on the Knock 
Shrine website. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I don't have the website in front of me. Is it knockshrine.ie? .ie, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, we might get it yeah. before the end of the programme. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's a, the, the, the talks from the 15 days are there. Some of them are very good. Very good. Very good, very uh, inspiring, very informative. There was also a homily from His Excellency the Papal Nuncio, which, well, to be honest, didn't really say anything new. I was kind of hoping for something better from the man, but anyway, um, you know. Um, but it, you know, so but the, the, the talks and the homilies over the fourteen days were, you know, I'd say, say to people if you have time, sit down and listen to them. But all, again and again, of course, knock and the whole the whole thing with knock is Mary pointing back to her son, and I think that's something we need to, you know, we need to remember, particularly in these times. Maybe if I could just finish up with what the priest said in Knock one day, he said, you know, all over the world, our lady appeared, you know, and she appeared alone. But when she came to Knock, she brought the whole family, you know, she brought the husband <laughs> and the it. son. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she brought them all to Knock, so we have one up in the rest of the world. <laughs> well, yeah, so, she, you know, it's, uh, actually, actually, that is actually very good, John. She brought the whole family, that is very good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now, ju- just to finish off this section, and as usual, controversial as ever, Shane. You know me now. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to those, you know, to those talks on the web, and I, I'd really encourage people to. Uh, f- for once, I have to disagree with you slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to the Archbishop Charles Brown's one. Mm-hmm. To me, it was very encouraging because it was all about the future of the Church in Ireland, the Catholic Church in Ireland. Mm-hmm. What I did, what I suggest people do is listen to that because I know Joe Little gave a little bit of a. As spearfed there a few days ago, I don't think he'd done justice to what the Archbishop said. There's also a bit on the Irish Catholic on page seven this week, but you know, there, there, there are if, if people have time and they're looking for access to the text of the homily, yeah. um, it's on the Dublin Archdiocesan website. It's on the Episcopal Conference website. Uh, I think our own Limerick Diocesan website is going to cover it. Some might have it as well, yeah. Um, and uh, if you know, we we might actually put the link on the blog as well. Perfect. But I think it's so important that, I mean, there were were 10,000 people there every day, um, loads of priests there, um, you know, hearing confessions. Um, A wonderful expression of faith. And and to me, it it was a wonderful place to be that particular day. But anyway, time for us to go for a piece of music. Just just one final thought, John, I suppose. It's also, I suppose, a, a very stark reminder to us. If we look at the front page of this week's Irish Catholic, where they're scoop, their expose, is that in the autumn meeting of the Episcopal Conference, the bishops are going to authorize the celebration of paraliturgies in parishes at weekends where there are no priests. And I suppose it's a reminder to us of the centrality of the Eucharist in our faith and the need for priestly vocations. Yeah, I think what we'll do, I think we will have a discussion on that some other day, but we better go for a piece of music now. Um, The one and only Frank Patterson singing... Our Lady of Knock. From Faith of Our Fathers. Let's go for it.
Welcome back again to the third part of Common Sea Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. And at this point of our podcast is the part where we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, we'll ask Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it, then that our eyes be closed and our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were blazing already. There is a baptism I must still receive, and how great is my distress till it's over. Do you suppose that I'm here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, a household of five will be divided. Three against two and two against three. The father against the son and son against the father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So that's the gospel for this week. The 14th Sunday, sorry, excuse me, the 20th Sunday in ordinary time. Shane, have you got a thought you might share with us, please? No. (laughs) You can't do that, Shane. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, so um, I think it, it builds on the Gospels we've been listening to over the last couple of weeks where Jesus has been pretty much let it, setting out the fact 
that um, to be a Christian, to follow Christ is countercultural and kind of upends things on its head. Um, I think the point, one of the things, I suppose, when you're looking at some of the the, 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 the parables and, and the things that Jesus says in, in the gospel, like cutting off your hand and taking out your eye and so on and so forth, it's extreme to make the point. Um, in this scenario, we have to remember that uh, family is everything to the Jewish community, um, right down even to the present day. Um, but at that time and more so, so Jesus turning around and saying that he would, you know, following him would be upending the family connections where you'd be, you know, causing such division and rupture would have been turning things completely on its head. Um, you know, so it's it's quite challenging uh, to, to, to listen to it. Um, you know, it's it's also an interesting one because what we have here is we've contradiction to the gospel we had a couple of weeks ago where Jesus was saying, peace be to this house. You know, we associate Jesus with peace rather than um, division. And, you know, if you think about it, his first words after the resurrection are peace be with you. You know, but um, I suppose one of the things is the context in which the gospel has been, is, written, is written as well, which at the time for Luke, um, there was huge divisions in the Christian community. Um, you know, and... I suppose the, the the reality is the Christian vision as Jesus sets out is quite radical, um, you know, and sometimes um, something of that nature can have painful consequences because it upsets the status quo, um, you know, and it's 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 something that we have to be careful about. Like a certain amount of conflict is unavoidable. Um, you know, in, in society, human beings aren't, oh, it's not, we're not all going to clap hands and give each other hugs and get on, la da 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 da. That doesn't, that doesn't happen by any stretch of the imagination. But I suppose the important thing for us to think about is do we allow anger and hurt to shape our interactions or do we try and listen and to heal as Jesus did in his encounters with others? Um, it's a disturbing gospel. I would say to people, you need to take a bit of time with it to read it this week and to reflect on it. And to, I suppose, to consider it in terms of our relationships with the wider world and are there relationships perhaps that we need to work on and to maybe repair. Um, None of us has all the answers, but, you know, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is ever there guiding us onwards. This week, um, the the book by Trina Doherty and Jane Mellett, Journey with the Sunday Gospels, The Year of Luke, The Deep End, Um, They have a quote from Peter McFerry, which I want to read out. It's the peace promised by God does not come from accepting the world as it is. The Christian community was established by Jesus in order to show a broken world how to live as the new creation, which Jesus promised for the future. The Christian community, by the way we live, love, care and share with each other, is called to say no to our world as it is and to say yes to the world as it should be. I thought that was a lovely quote uh, to put with this morning's gospel from Peter McVerry. Now, John, have you a few thoughts? Thanks, Shane. Father Frank Duick, in his lecture notes to us this week, reminds us that standing up for the gospel values will cause tension among families and among friends. What Jesus is saying to us in the, in the gospel text is that if we want that if what we mean by peace compromises the truth of his message, then he's not happy. It's not good enough to stay silent, for example, 
if a family member uh, says he or she favours abortion. Such silence, for peace sake, is not acceptable. For Jesus, peace means always have the truth as its foundation. So the challenge for me today, as I listen to the Word of God, is to maintain peace within my own being by remaining true to myself and my belief in the Gospel message. Even though this could well mean those around me may give me the cold shoulder. Just a thought I took from Father Frank's reflection today. So thanks again, Shan, for joining me on another edition of Come and See Inspirations. And now we can play a final piece of music. Today it's from a recording uh, from the Medjugorje Youth Festival, which took place last week. Uh, and this is by the Medjugorje Youth Choir. And they're singing, Walking in the Light of God. And of course, they've got to help for 50,000 young people there as well. So it's next week for myself and Shane. Thanks again for joining us. Take care. Have a good week. Bye now. Jumping! Yeah. Yeah.